Everybody, before you sit down, look at somebody near you and hug their neck. Just somebody right within reach, hug their neck. And if somebody is not standing, give them a wet willy. I'm just kidding. That's disgusting. But it's funny. Jeremy, why don't you come on up? Okay, that's enough niceness. Do I know you? It is uh, good to see you this morning. We are going to jump right into our service uh, because we have a lot to do today. Shh, the pastor's talking. Let's pray. Isn't that cool? It's like the coolest pastor trick ever. When you start to pray, people get quiet. I'll, I'll pray later. But... Um, one of the goals, for those of you who haven't been with us at Carpenter's Way, one of our goals as a leadership team is to get as many people who are physically able on the mission, uh, on the mission field. We want them across the U.S. border somewhere to experience Christianity and Christians in other cultures and to do ministry in other cultures. And uh, we have taken trips to India. We've taken trips to Russia. Uh, we have ongoing trips to uh, Brazil and Guatemala. And this is, a, this is really at the heart of what we do as a church uh, because we want to disciple you. We want you to see ministry in action on a regular basis. And uh, we are blessed at Carpenter's Way with strong leadership. Uh, Kevin and Pam Hudson, who oversee our relationship with uh, Amazon Outreach and uh, take teams of folks to, to Brazil each summer. Another group is Jeremy Overby and his wife, who have been in missions, who has been a pastor before, and has a passion for world missions, and their family has a unique love for Guatemala. And so for the last how many years? Three years? Last four years or so, they've been taking teams to Guatemala. Before that, you spent a whole summer there with your family, right? So um, it has been a privilege to have them lead a team, and, and uh, they're leading another one next summer. But uh, we're going to take the next 15 minutes and have them share what God did in their, uh, through them and in their ministry and in their lives over the last, uh, over the last trip this last summer. So I'm going to turn it over to Jeremy. And uh, Jeremy, thanks. I don't know why Jeremy had to remind me several times my time was limited. And I'm thinking, me? Why does he have to tell me several times? I love you. So, hi, I'm Lydia. Um, I had the privilege and honor to go to the Guatemala trip this last summer with an amazing group. We were small, but um, it was a great, great group. Um, I'm so glad that I went. Long before the trip came up, uh, Les was asking me several times, why do you want to go to Guatemala? And I really didn't have an answer for the longest time. At first, I kept thinking that it was for the adventure, you know, one of the cheapest ways to find adventure. Or maybe it was to reli relive uh, past mission experiences, because I've had a few. But the truth is, um, I just felt that that was what I needed to do. I felt I was excited about using my language and speaking in Spanish to people, and I felt very much at home in Guatemala. Mission trips affect you. You can grow from the experience, no matter how old you are. Um, once I knew I was going, my old buddy named Fear gripped me, fear of falling, failing, flying, walking everywhere. But I decided to trust, and I'm glad that I did, because in the process I experienced Jeremy's very capable leadership. Uh, I had some insight into Chastity's love of missions, 
and I was touched by Clay and Yvette's infectious joy to serve in distant lands. I saw Tegan's quiet spirit, but huge love for this particular mission field. I met Mark and was encouraged by his attitude of keeping on even in challenging situations. And we did have challenging situations. It's not easy to go and, and get out of your comfort zone. We met some beautiful, amazing missionaries working in a very ripe field, harvesting for Jesus. The Guatemalans were very gracious and kind people to us, and I'm very glad I got to go. Thank you. It's hard to follow that, isn't it? Life begins at the edge of your comfort zone, uh, written by Donald. Walsh. J.R.R. Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings, warns, it's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no telling where you might be swept off to. Standing here, speaking to you, is at the edge of my comfort zone. For me, the edge was boarding an airplane, trusting God for two hours and 30,000 feet. Being a land where no one speaks your language and your money's no good and your good intentions for being there may be suspect is definitely over my edge. But Jesus calls us, calls out for us to obey and follow. As sheep in his pasture, he leads us to grass, to water, to a place of rest where he guards us while we sleep. Guatemala was another edge experience, and I'm glad I went. Uh, Mark Lewis. Uh, this was uh, my third uh, missions trip. I've been to Mexico City and to El Salvador and then uh, now to Guatemala. But Guatemala is a beautiful uh, country with warm and kind people. Uh, I worked in the area of microfinance, uh, which I'd never uh, I didn't know what really what that was till I got there, but uh, this ministry that that I worked in, it focuses on making very small loans to individuals. We're talking loans that are from maybe four hundred to a thousand dollars U.S. is a thousand dollars would be a big loan there, but they're they're making loans for things like pigs, and for avocados, uh, for handmade goods, for maybe a tortilla shop or maybe to open a little tienda, or uh, we had one uh, group that, that uh, did event support. So they, there's parties are regular in Guatemala, I found that out, and they're big parties, but they rented chairs and tables. And they had a business of renting chairs and tables. The microfinance department came alongside them and helped them. But what they would, uh, through uh, Pastor, and I, I have butchered his name, ever since I've been there. Uh, we would call it Gerber, but they call it Hebert or something like that. You'd have to help me. Uh, but uh, the pastor uh, led them and helped them through uh, just the very basics of finance, learning how to, how to handle their money, uh, learning what it means to pay back money uh, and to be responsible. He, we had individual home visits where we actually went into people's homes and got the chance to pray with them and to go over any questions that they would have. Uh, very open uh, system. Uh, the pastor was, was very open to, to suggestions on maybe how to make the program better, and I enjoyed that. 
Uh, but I can tell you the most enjoyable part of, of microfinance, the part I was in, was in those home visits and seeing the people and seeing exactly how they lived. They were very warm uh, and having a chance to pray. Now, uh, I don't speak much Spanish, and the little Spanish that I do speak is with an East Texas accent, so that was a little bit of a fun time of, of trying to communicate, but I can tell you one thing that is universal, and that's the love of God. And uh, I think we were able to express the love of God to the people, and they really appreciated it. Appreciated it. But uh, I really enjoyed my time there and got a glimpse into their lives, uh, and uh, it's a beautiful place. I would encourage you to go. I'm Clay Alverson, and uh, Guatemala was an amazing place, an amazing trip. I've been to India and uh, Madagascar a couple times and Mexico, and the people there are gracious and loving and open to the gospel. And uh, Students International is a very uh, professional missions organization. They, everything is planned, everything is well done, well executed, but it, everything, uh, they have like, uh, Mark was talking about he worked with microfinance. I worked with appropriate technology. Now, uh, those of you that know me, uh, that's humorous, but appropriate technology was uh, basically building stoves for the, the families to cook on. And in order to qualify for a stove, the ladies that uh, made application would have to attend 12 meetings or Bible studies. So the stove was to improve their life because it, uh, you would use 60% less wood to, to cook on, and it would take 90% of the smoke out of the house and or off the porch, which was causing issues, uh, respiratory issues. So it takes the smoke out and uh, cuts back on their, their cost to purchase firewood or to go get firewood. So it's very beneficial to them but they hear the gospel. And then later, you go back and make sure the stove is functioning properly, uh, visit with the people, pray with them, see what their needs and concerns are. But everything that is done um, through Students International is about the gospel. And I, it's a, probably one of the easiest tri trips that Carpenter's Way takes. We, as Jeremy told us, we had breakfast in uh, the Houston airport and lunch in the Guatemala City, City airport. So versus flying to India for 22, 24 hours, this is a two and a half hour trip. Um, the weather is beautiful. The The terrain is, is it, again, Jeremy said, uh, you know, it's uphill both ways. It is uphill both ways. It's an amazing thing. But uh, if you are, this is a picture of uh, one of the sites that we worked on. Uh, we're, we're mixing mortar and getting ready to install a, a stove in that house uh, that you see behind the two guys. Those are two uh, interns. The guy in the back, he was supposed to be in uh, Nicaragua, but um, they could not, they couldn't stay in Nicaragua because of all the civil unrest, so he's now in Guatemala. But anyway, it is a great trip. If you're looking for an entry-level trip, this is the one you need to consider. And uh, our students need to consider it as well. They are more geared. Students International is called Students International because they're more geared for taking students on and exposing them to uh, 
their culture in Guatemala and the way people live and to uh, uh, help them share their faith once they get there. But it is a great trip. Thank you. <laughs> Who would have thought Clay would go the longest? <laughs> uh, one thing you might have noticed, oh, I'm Yvette, by the way. Uh, one thing you might have noticed is that the ministry is called Students International, and as Clay pointed out, it really is geared towards students. So if you're a student and in here, come talk to us. Um, this is a great trip for you. The only students on the trip were the Overby kids, <laughs> and the rest of us are obviously not students. Um, three things that, that God really impressed on me while we were there, the little puzzle pieces that he put together. One was before we even went, I was heard saying out loud last summer that I did not want to be in Texas anymore in August. I was done. I wanted to be somewhere cool and in the mountains, and I understood why people go to Colorado for the summer. Well, then God said, okay, you can go to the mountains in Guatemala. So he put that together for me, and the weather is spectacular. It's a good respite from the Texas heat. The second thing was uh, he put us in the art school, Lydia and I, in the art school with Alvaro, who this organization is about the gospel so the art school is just a way for the kids to come they're discipled every day with prayer a devotional and God gave me Lydia because I speak no Spanish so it would have been really difficult that week to communicate with the kids with Alvaro and we just had the most amazing time together um, because she was able to interpret for me and I would just pray in English. And God, you know, God didn't care what the language was. He knew, he knew what the needs were. So he really moved in that. And we, we would stop on the road with Alvaro and talk to people. We'd go to homes, pray with people. It's very organic. It's very, um, we are in relationship with you to figure out what your needs are. And it's a, you know, it's a permanent covering of this area of Guatemala. And then teams come in to support that. And the third thing is what I like to call our um, park bench encounter. We were in Antigua for the evening for dinner, and we had been told by one of the interns, you probably don't want to buy anything from the children who are numerous selling things around. She said, but what I try to do is stop and talk to them and tell them that education is important and how important it is to do something as you grow. And so we were just sitting on a park bench after dinner, and a little girl came up, and Lydia was able to talk with her and asked her about church and ministered to her. And I was able to just sit there and watch and listen and pray in my language, knowing that the Holy Spirit was moving in this situation. And that was pretty awesome. Um, it's, a, it, it's an easy trip. The hills take a little bit of up and down, up up uphill both ways um, but you would be very fortunate to be able to take part in this trip thank you um, first I want to thank each of you for being such a giving church um, this first picture is of your donations that's 19 50 pound bags um, of donations 
um, that we all had to lug through Houston Airport and Guatemala Airport with our carry-ons and our backpacks, and it was fun. Um, whenever there's a need, you rise to the occasion and you give. Um, this next picture is of the Women's Social Work site. A lot of the things that you gave went to this site. Um, a lot of these um, ladies here, uh, if you have received coffee from a team member or something as a thank you gift, if you've received a bag, a purse, or whatever, um, these ladies have made those. And so your donations have taught them um, a skill and allowed them to earn money to try and uh, support their families. And so I want to uh, encourage you after the service, take a minute, uh, pull one of the team members aside. Um, there's, I don't know, probably 20 or 30 other people here today that have been in past years. Um, ask them more questions because um, there's a lot of stuff that, that goes on that we'd be up here for probably hours. Uh, talking about the trip and so um, our next trip dates for next year are July the 27th through August the 4th uh, the trip cost is $1,800 uh, we're going to start taking deposits on November the 1st uh, and so feel free to get a hold of me or after the service or, or later on about any other uh, inf information or questions that you might have Look, the reason we do this isn't, um, I mean, there, there are missionaries, and each of the places that we go, Brazil, also Guatemala, there are missionaries on the ground there. And the question often comes up, well, why don't we just send them money and support them? Because discipleship isn't just about poor folk. It's just not about people in a different culture. It's about us. And you'll notice what they're talking about. Uh, I thought it was, it was really cool that Lydia started by talking about the team people she was with, what she learns about them, how we serve as a team. The other thing that I want to tell you, the secret benefit of the trip, it's really hard to nuke somebody you fall in love with. And we live in a very mi mi uh, militaristic country, and I, and I get it. I get it. I've been conservative politically. Having said that, we're not just citizens of this country. In fact, Peter tells us to be, to be real that our real citizenship is in heaven. And we need to fall in love with people in different cultures and different value systems. And we need to, it's so good for your heart, I'm just telling you. And it changes, it changes how you look at the world. And boy, does the church in America need a different w way of looking at the world. And uh, we are here to be salt and light, and it's such a blessing. I know from my trips I've been on that I usually come away going, gosh, they actually blessed me more. And uh, this, is, this is such a core value at Carpenter's Way, and I'm going to ask our, our ushers to come forward we're preparing for offering, but it is such a core value at Carpenter's Way that, um, that, that we do not want money to keep you from going. Uh, we will come alongside you as elders. We will support you. The church will support you, but we, we want you to go. It will change your life, and uh, uh, we're going to have more. I think in February, we're going to take actually a whole Sunday, and we're going to have it a short-term mission Sunday, and, and uh, I've been talking to Steve Trammell, who runs Amazon Outreach. He's going to preach that morning, and We'll have, uh, we will have uh, Amazon Outreach's information out there. We'll have Guatemala's information out there. And then, and then you can talk to them. But we, we want you involved. And if the Lord is tugging your heart, if, if, you, if you don't have $100 a month to put away, and it's more than that right now because if they start in November, then go two years from now. We're not going to stop. This is not, not going to stop. You can start putting 50 bucks a month away if the Lord would allow. I know. 
That's five cups of coffee a month. You're going to have to, you know, make it home. Um, or you can come by the church. We always have coffee coming here. We do not want you to get grumpy in this culture. But, uh, but it is so worth it. I promise you, your life will forever be changed. How many of you have been on a short-term mission trip? Uh, look around you for just a second. That's why our church is the way it is, because it changes you. Uh, so ask one of those people. Enough on that. I need to highlight a few things coming up, and then we're going to take our offering. Number one, we have three major family events coming up. We want to party over the holiday season. One is on Halloween evening, um, the 31st, Wednesday night. We're going to have a, a hot dog roast for you guys from 5.30 to 6.30. If you've got kids or grandkids, you take trick-or-treating because you want to celebrate Satan's birthday. Um, that's between you and your God. I'm going to be giving out hot dogs. That's a, that's a staff joke, just so you know. But uh, <laughs> anyway, we are, we're going to be serving hot dogs. There's no cost. We want you to come eat. Uh, take your kids. Make sure you x-ray the candy so it doesn't have anything bad in it. Um, but we, we want to we encourage you. It's a chance for us to hang out for an hour and listen to Mark mock the holiday. Um, in August, or August, sorry, this is October. November, we have the Agape Feast. That's the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Put that on your calendar. That is a glutton-free, it's, it's like a free sin night. It's, there's too much food. We bring it in here. And if you're, if you're visiting, if you're Carpenter's Way, if you're watching on the Internet, it's a good chance to come here and pig out with us. But we just celebrate. That, that night is just a family celebration. There's not going to be a lesson or anything. We just eat together and laugh a little bit. And then uh, we're, we're working on right now doing another movie night here at the church, a drive-in movie or a walk-in movie and, uh, in, the, in the parking lot. And, and uh, we, we want to we, we reach the lost, but we also want to encourage each other and build relationships. So those things are coming up. Please be praying for our missionaries. Be praying for each other. Um, and uh, that's all the announcements I have for now. Um, if you're visiting, we're going to take an offering right now. If this is not your home church, please don't give. This, this is for those who attend here regularly. We don't want you distracted by money. Uh, the rest of our service, we're going to worship. We're going to get into Second uh, uh, Samuel for a few minutes. We're going to have communion together. And if you're a child of God, you're encouraged and welcome to participate. So let's pray and, uh, and commit the rest of our time, and then we'll take our offering. Lord Jesus, we do love you so much. And uh, we gather together, Lord celebrating what you allow our church to do here in Angelina County and then in Guatemala this summer. And, Lord, every time we walk out of this place, that is our church. That is our local body ministering in this culture and this community. So make us effective, Father. Make us effective for the kingdom. I pray for those, uh, for those Father, who are hurting right now. We think, of, we think of our brother who was just released from the Turkish prison. We're so thankful that you, you saw fit to allow him to come home yesterday. Father, to watch him pray with our president was an awesome thing. What a testimony. Reminded me of Paul's words of suffering and the difficulty of it, but the joy of knowing you're in control. And we pray for this man and his wife. He's been in prison for a couple years. It's difficult, and the reunion will be complicated. So we pray for healing for their marriage. We pray for his health. We pray that you would uh, uh, protect him from post-traumatic stress and the things that come with that. We pray for our president that he would be touched by your spirit and drawn to yourself. I have no idea where he is spiritually. But I pray that you would save this man if he's not, that you would give him wisdom to lead our country. I pray for those in Congress and, and in the Senate. Father, our country needs Jesus. It doesn't need more laws. It needs more of, of the Savior. So may we be a catalyst for that. And now, Father, as we turn our eyes away from the work of the ministry to the King, uh, our Lord, and our Daddy, I pray that you would minister to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Offer
family comes by, if you want to stand and worship with us, you're more than welcome.
But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. a sinner, now I'm king. Once condemned, now I'm made free. He turned my darkness into love, and now I see. Once in ashes, there's beauty. Once in pieces I'm complete My Redeemer now resides He lives in me Oh, He is alive And I am bound to death no
I am bound to death no more. He is alive in Jesus Christ, always secure. Amen.
lifted high there is no other like you jesus christ you are my story For those visiting with us or watching on the internet who haven't been watching in, we have uh, we've been walking through. We started in Ruth and went to First and Second Samuel, and we find ourselves in chapter 18. And I'm going to jump right in, and uh, I'll bring you up to speed as we go along. Verse 31 of chapter 18 of Second Samuel says, "Then the man from Ethiopia arrived and said to King David, I have good news for you, my lord, the king. Today the Lord has rescued you from all of those who had rebelled against you." What about young Absalom, the king demanded? Is he all right? And, Ethiopian, and the Ethiopian replied, May all of your enemies, my lord the king, both now and in the future, share the fate of that young man. The king was overcome with emotion. Uh, if you haven't been with us, that's because Absalom was his son. He went up to the room over the gateway and he burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. If only I had died instead of you, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. This is what the emotional cost of forgiven sin looks like. This is what it looks like to be a forgiven of your sin, but to indulge in your flesh. In recent weeks, we have seen the high cost to David's family for the adultery he committed with Bathsheba and then murdering her husband. We watch the cost of the, to the nation in civil war and then not so civil war. And now that the war has ended and David was victorious, the, the pain of losing not just one son but three sons impacts him. And friends, and the nation is in shambles and it's overwhelming and all because David chose pleasure over honor. He was responsible for all of this. 
The emotional cost of forgiven sin can possibly be the worst part of sin, the worst part of the consequences. And in the next few minutes, I want to encourage you because the news for David is good. We all struggle with the flesh. We all give in to the flesh. And then we all have to overcome the consequences of that. So I'm going to ask the Lord to, to, to speak to us. Father God, I ask you right now. Your Holy Spirit is in this room. Your Holy Spirit resides in your people. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, and that you would draw us to yourself. That for those who have not made life-devastating choices, that today they would surrender their life to you and avoid that cost. And for those who have, Father, may they find hope and joy in you. In Jesus' name, amen. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, I shared this with you last week, says, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and to drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful action, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Death even in the life of God's redeemed kid. Even for the redeemed child of God, sin keeps us from a close, hopeful, intimate relationship with God. Death to the abundant life in relationship that God has said that we can have as his children. There's emotional death to the family who watches us sin and who are disappointed and let down. Death to a church as they watch their pastor in, indulge his flesh in sin. Death to relationships outside of our family as, as people who watch uh, are caught up in the judgmental nature of a church that claims something that is not lived out. Physical death, like we've seen in this story, happens at times because of our sin. But there's another death that, I, that, that you see in this text that I want to talk about this morning. It's the death to joy, hope, and peace. In this text I, I already read you this morning, David's enemies have just been defeated in a coup d'etat. Actually, his son, Absalom, was the one who headed it up. They went to fight David, um, and or the, they tried to overcome David. They tried to take over the city of Jerusalem, which David had left. And then they chase David to kill him, Absalom, as the leader. And they are unexpectedly defeated by David's forces. They've won. But David is heartbroken by it. In chapter 19, verse 1, it says this. Words soon reached Joab, who was the general at the time of David's, one of three generals, that the king was weeping and mourning for Absalom. As all the people heard of the king's deep grief for his son, the joy of that day's victory was turned into sadness. And I just want to pause for a second, and I want you to picture this. I want you to feel this. One of the things that I hope you do for, through First and Second Samuel and Ruth is feel this. These are real people. When you win a battle that you're not supposed to win, you celebrate. And the nation should celebrate. But David is up in the room, and the joy of weeping out loud, and the joy of that day's victory is turned into deep sadness for the whole group of people who fought for him. Verse 3, they crept back into town that day as though they were ashamed and had deserted in battle. The king covered his face with his hands, and he kept on crying, Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son. My son. Then Joab went to the king's room and he said to him, We saved your life today and the lives of your sons and your daughters and your wives and concubines. Yet you act like this. You're making us feel ashamed of ourselves. You seem to love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You have made it clear today that your commanders and your troops mean nothing to you. 
It seems that if Absalom had lived and, and all of us had died, you would be pleased. Verse 7. Now go out there and congratulate your troops. Pretty bold. For I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out there, not a single one of them will remain here tonight. Then you will be worse off than ever before. I don't have a lot of time this morning because I want to get to communion. And it will really feed our time around the table this morning. But I want you to understand what's happened here. David the giant killer. The, the boy who was chosen by God to be the king of this great nation. The one that still to this day the Jews wish would return and lead them. Whether it be because of the loss of his three sons or the shame of realization that he has messed his whole nation up, David is emotionally a broken man. Spiritually, in many ways, he's a broken man. And the truth is, he's thinking only of himself. So one of his generals confronts him. And as we look at the life of David, we think, how could he do something as evil as he does? It's been really interesting to hear feedback from a lot of you on this, because I know you know the story, but it's kind of like we look at David and we, we, we see the little child imageries of him standing next to that huge giant and taking him on and defeating him with a stone and a sword, and, and, and we, that's the David we want to think about. And, and uh, Bathsheba and Uriah are kind of like an addendum, an acrostic. Like a little at the end, I'm sorry, that's not the right word. But an asterisk is there, and you put a little note, oh yeah, and he committed adultery at one time. We love the David that was a man after God's own heart. But I want you to know that all of those things make up this guy. All of those things. And, and I, I really, really, and I'm, I'm going to tell you the punchline right now. David and Paul are no different than you and I. I mean, they're not any different than you and I. I mean, really, really, really not any different than you and I. I mean, we love the hero, heroes and the heroines of the scripture, but when you step back and you read about these people, and I want to remind you that we started with the story of Ruth, and we looked at Naomi, and I pointed out that Naomi shouldn't have been where she was when her husband and kids died. She should have been back in Jerusalem. She ran from God's plan for her. The fact is that each character in Scripture that has more than four verses really messes their life up. And the cost of that to the family, to the people, to the nation, to the Hebrew people is devastating. But just like you, after you've sinned, after the consequences have hit, and even after God has assured you that you are forgiven, sometimes we find ourselves hiding in an upper room, crying over what we've done, knowing we can't change it. I know, I know that David says Absalom, but I just, I just think that what he's crying over is so much more than Absalom. It's the unknown named child that died at birth to his wife Bathsheba. It's Amnon who was killed by Absalom. It's Uzzah who died because he tried to steady the ark that shouldn't have been on a cart. It's building Jerusalem for 25 years with his wealth and the wealth of other nations and, and actually building a, a tabernacle and having the ark of the covenant move there and realizing that at this moment in life, that means nothing. Because Satan wants to throw our sin back in our faith and face and devastate our life. 
In this story, though, we see God's mercy all over it. And we're blessed by it. But we're still sincerely shocked at the sin that he commits and the things that he does and the cost that actually is the end of 2 Samuel to him and the people. Actually, I want to tell you, I don't think the nation ever recovers. I don't think it ever recovers. I told you last week that I think as you read the story and you study, there may have been 10 years of, of, uh, I called it Camelot in, in the Hebrew nation. But after David gets bored and and doesn't go to war when he should have and he sleeps with Bathsheba, it's all downhill in many ways from there until Jesus Christ comes. God God says, look, you just can't do it. I'm going to solve this. I've got a plan. But God didn't just come to send a redeemer for us in 2018. He was sending a redeemer for David as well. He'd actually told David through Nathan that his sin was forgiven. But I I really want to talk about, though, how similar we are like David. I mean, maybe we haven't committed adultery, and, and, and maybe, I'm pretty sure, most of us haven't killed the husband of the person we were sleeping with. But we've certainly willfully done things our own way because our flesh wanted something. We've done things our own way, and we've watched as our selfish decisions not only hurt us, but hurt others. I know I have. There is a moment in in the life of every child of God that we become abundantly clear that we are not as good as others think we are. And in moments of honest, humble reflection, we mourn for what should have been but is not, and we know that the pain caused to ourselves and others we love is because we weren't faithful. And it hurts. We often sit quietly like David, wondering how we messed things up so badly. What was I thinking? ever been there come on don't you don't have to nod but don't lie to yourself we've all been there when you lose your temper with your kid or your grandkid and you know that had nothing to do with what you were talking about when you said something hateful to your spouse maybe bringing up the big d word i should leave you if it wasn't for god killing me for leaving you i would have left you a long time ago i should have never married you words things done actions that an hour after you're going, what's wrong with me? But you just can't humble yourself and make it right. Satan loves us there because our self-centered grief and guilt and shame not only robs us of our joy, but mainly of our focus on him. It robs us of, of hope. And as we continue to spiral downward, which is what is happening to David here, sitting alone in his room, weeping for Absalom, despite the fact that all of these people put their life on the line for him and the nation, and the God that he represents. He's spiraling downward into self-pity that takes on the form of grief. And we actually, like David in this story, continue to victimize those around us by robbing them of their joy. And that's what David does. He robs his victorious people of their joy. That is the emotional ripple effect of their sin. It affects all the people there. I want to, though, I want you to take a moment. I want to show you something from Galatians chapter 2, 19. uh, He said, I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements, Paul said, so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I, I want you to picture this because you need to see it visually. We live our lives. That's what we talk about. How are you living your life? I live my life like this. This is my value system. The problem is that even as Christians in the church, even today, we still choose how to live our lives when in reality, we should be living our life by faith in God, focused on Him. He's the center of it. We're going to have communion in a few moments. And if you ever asked yourself why God memorialized His death, burial, and resurrection in this, so that we are constantly reminded that the life we live in the body, we live by faith for the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. You see, the problem with David is David was so fixated on the sin he had committed and the damage done and the death of his son that he couldn't see God's victory in it all. As he was leaving Jerusalem with his tail between his legs, he said, uh, he told the ark to go back into the city and if God wills it, I'll be back. If God wills it, I'll sit on the throne again. And he leaves. David doesn't believe that God will restore him. But what if he does? I see parallels to the church today because I think some of us, there, there are certain sins in the church that we act, or act like are worse than others. And God will never restore you. You'll be saved, but as through fire we talk about. But I want you to know that that's exactly how David felt. But if we live our lives in the body by faith for God, then you don't have any right to assume what God's going to do with your future. We have no right to assume that we have been put on a shelf or that we have marginalized ourselves or that we can, we can go and mourn over the, uh, the death that we have caused. There's a point at which we really have to come to terms, family, with the fact that we are God's. He is not ours. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I don't know if I'm communicating this well because my time is short, but do you kind of understand? David is feeling sorry for himself. Oh, Absalom, Absalom, I get it. We would all grieve over the death of three of our sons. We would grieve. But David's life was never his own life. And if he would have remembered that, he wouldn't have been sleeping with some other dude's wife. If he would have remembered that, when he heard Nathan say that your sins have been forgiven, he would have raised his kids differently. He would have approached his children, and he would have repented of his sin and said, I screwed up, I'm sorry, don't make the same mistakes. He would have protected Amnon from raping his sister. He would have protected Absalom from killing Amnon. He would have protected the nation from the civil war. He would have done the right thing, but he couldn't get his eyes off of himself and the pain he had caused. I get it, but that's living in the flesh. Satan's most effective tool for the child of God is not to get you to renounce God. You, you, can't, you won't do that, but it's actually to get you not to believe in him, not to believe in his mercy not to believe in his grace. We are all sinful. We all blow us, and, and most of us, like David, even blow up our lives. And often the lives, it, it costs great pain to the lives of those around us in our communities. We have all failed the requirements of God's spiritual law. We've all fallen short of his standards. That's why he sent Christ. We, we actually, because of often preaching in the church, we feel like as Christians we're a disappointment to God. And I got news for you. You're pretty much exactly what he thought you were. That's why he sent Jesus, to take your sin in his body on the tree. And I'm here to tell you and to tell David that despite that, there was still joy and peace and hope available if he would just put his focus off of the death and put it back on God. If he could take his eyes off of the consequences of his decisions and on the mercy of God to restore him, he would have found hope. David in this text can't get over himself or his grief or his shame for even a moment to celebrate with those who would put their lives on the line for him, his nation, and his God. 
But David isn't the only man that felt this. Paul did. Paul's life was painful. He referred to himself as having been poured out as a drink offering. He talks about his poverty in which he lived. He talked about the people that had died at his side. And I want to add to you that I am one of seven people who think that the thorn in his flesh was actually shame. I, I, I can't defend it too much from Scripture. I don't think it's an eyesight problem. If you grew up in the church, you know what I'm talking about. I, I don't know what it was for sure, but I think it's shame because every letter that Paul writes in the New Testament minus one actually begins with a defense of God's call on his life. You know why? Because every church he walked into, somebody said, you killed my brother. You imprisoned my sister. You dragged my family back to Jerusalem and they were killed there. You know how that must feel as a shepherd? As he mounts the pulpit to try to proclaim Christ, somebody's, he's looking out there, and let me tell you something, it's never happened here, but I've been places where I know what somebody's thinking when they're looking at me. You're not who you claim to be. They're wrong. I am who I claim to be. Lighten up. Take a breath. But that was rough on Paul. In fact, it was so rough that he wrote these words, Philippians chapter 1. I'm torn between two desires. Paul's in prison right now. I long to go be with Christ. Okay, pause for a second. Leave that up there, Bill. You know what he's talking about, right? To go to be with Christ, I long to die. Which would be far better for me? But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm actually convinced that I'll remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Now, did you notice? Did, did you notice what he didn't say? He didn't say, I'm so excited to come be with you. We are going to have a party like we've never seen. We're going to high-five each other. We're going to hug. He's actually saying, I, I'm ready to go home. I'm tired. I'm ready to die. But my life doesn't belong to me. You see, this explains Galatians chapter 2 where he says, the life I live in the body, I live by faith for the, for the Son of God or by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, the difference between Paul here and David is not that their feelings were that separated, but that one was focused on the work of God wanting to go through him and the other is focused on the death of his son, the cost of his sin. And we're all there. We all end up there. Paul was tired. He wanted to go home, yet he chose to find joy and hope in serving faithfully the one who had called him. David is hiding in his room feeling sorry for himself when Joab walks in and says, we saved your life today. And the lives of your sons and your daughters and your wives and your concubines, you, yet you act like this. David, you're making us ashamed of ourselves. You seem to love those who hate you more than those who love you. You have made it clear today that your commanders and your troops mean nothing to you. It seems that if Absalom would have lived all, and all of us died, you'd be more pleased. Ouch. David wanted to be alone. He was hiding. He probably did wish he had died. But that is not what God had called him to do. There was still work to do. And he needed to stop feeling sorry for himself and letting Satan uh, uh, own him because of what he had done that he can't change and be like Paul and serve. And the good news is he does. Look at verse 8 of 2 Samuel 19. So the king went out and he took a seat at the town gate. And as the news spread throughout the town that he was there, what's that next line? Is that not loving? Everybody met, uh, went to him. Look, just, just, just keep all the context together here for a second. They all know that David is mourning now Absalom. They all know. 
It's all throughout. Why, how do I know that? Because it said earlier in the text that everybody came back defeated as if, as if they had done something wrong. So it's widely spread that David is weeping for Absalom despite the fact that he wanted to kill David. But when David goes to the town gate, the news spreads that he's there and they come to, they come to comfort him. They come to love on him. Meanwhile, okay, and I'm gonna read the rest of this chapter. Meanwhile, the Israelites who had supported Absalom fled to their homes. And throughout all the tribes of Israel, there was much discussion and argument going on civil war. Cost was great. The people were saying, the king recruit, uh, re, uh, rescued us from our enemies and saved us from the Philistines, but Absalom chased him out of the country. Now Absalom, whom we anointed to rule over us, is dead. Why don't we ask David to come back and be our king again? Then King David said, uh, sent Zadok and Abiathar, the priest, to say to the elders of Judah, why are you the last ones to welcome back the king to his palace? For I have heard all Israel is ready. You are my relatives, my own tribe, my own flesh and blood. So why are you the last ones to welcome back the king? I just want to pause. Remember, that was the first group of people to welcome him in? Sounds like the church, doesn't it? When somebody has fallen. We're so, we're so welcoming and loving when people get saved, but boy, don't you screw up. And we're the last ones to welcome people back into the fold if they repent. I, I, I'm, I, just, I read this this week and I thought, my gosh, we have so much to fix. We are the people of grace. We're the people of hope. If you struggle with same-sex marriage, we love you. If you struggle with stealing, we love you. We won't tolerate ongoing sin, but we will sure help you overcome it. We love you. Not because you're pretty or you're handsome, but we love you because God loved us as we have rebelled against him. That's why we welcome you back. That's what the church is supposed to be. We are not a political action committee. We are not a people with a moral uh, agenda. We are a people with a grace agenda. We should be the ones welcoming people to the kingdom. And for those who have left us, when they repent, we should welcome them back. I've got to find out what verse I'm on. It was really a nice little thing there. Verse 13. David told them to tell Amasa, since you are my own flesh and blood like Joab, may God strike me and even kill me if I do not appoint you as commander of my army in this place. Then Amasa convinced all of the men of Judah and they responded unanimously. They sent word to the king, return to us and bring back all who are with you. So the king started back to Jerusalem. And when he arrived at the Jordan River, the people of Judah came to Gilgal to meet him and escort him across the river. Shammai, son of Gera, the man from uh, Bahurim and, and Benjamin, hurried across with the men of Judah to welcome King David. A thousand other men from the tribe of Benjamin were with him, including Ziba, the chief servant, the chief servant of the house of Saul, and Ziba's 15 sons and 20 servants. They rushed down to the Jordan to meet the king. They crossed the shallows of the Jordan to bring the king's household across the river, helping him in every way that they could. As the king was about to cross the river, Shammai fell down before him. My lord, the king, please forgive me, he pleaded. Forget the terrible thing your servant did when you left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind. I know how much I have sinned against you. That is why I have come here today, the very first person in all of Israel to greet my lord, the king. Then Abishai of Zerah said, Shammai should die, for he cursed the Lord's anointed king. Who asked your opinion, you sons of Zerah? For those of you who've been with us, you, you remember who this guy is? He's the rock-throwing, dirt-throwing guy. And remember, this other guy keeps wanting to kill him, and the king keeps slapping him upside the head every time he does. Why have you become my adversary today? This is not a day of execution, for today I am once again the king of Israel. Then turning to Shammai, David vowed, your life will be spared. 
You know who knows about mercy and showing mercy? The person who needs it. What if God takes the most heinous, disgusting secret of your life, shows you mercy for the sole purpose of you showing other mercy? You know, you may not struggle with adultery. And you may not struggle with some of the big sins that we talk about, drug abuse or whatever. But you might be fat. And gluttony is a sin. Self-medicating isn't just for sex and drugs. It's for food. Anything that doesn't draw us to God. We, in the church, we tolerate gossip. What the scripture calls witchcraft. But we don't take it seriously. You see, the truth is sin in God's economy is sin. And it must be dealt with and forgiven. And once it is, we work together to become exactly what God wanted us to be. And Shammai, uh, Shammai deserved death. And David's right-hand guy wants to kill him. And David's like, this is not a day of death. This is a day of forgiveness. And it goes on in verse 24. Now Mephibosheth, son, uh, Saul's grandson, came down from Jerusalem to meet the king. Remember what he was doing? He ran back to Jerusalem to try to overthrow Absalom. He had not cared for his feet, trimmed his beard, or washed his clothes since the day the king left Jerusalem. In other words, he stunk and he was hairy. Don't even want to talk about washing his feet. Why didn't you come with me, Mephibosheth? The king asked him. Mephibosheth replied, Well, my lord the king, my servant Ziba deceived me. I told him, saddle my donkey so I can go with the king. For as you know, I'm crippled. Ziba has slandered me by saying that I refuse to come. But I know that my lord the king is like an angel of God. So do what you think is best. All my relatives and I could expect only death from you, but my lord. But instead, you have honored me by allowing me to eat at your own table. What more could I ask from you? You've said enough, David replied. I have decided that you and Ziba will divide the land equally between you. Give him all of it. Mephibosheth said, I am content just to have you safely back again, my lord the king. In other words, I don't think David knows who's telling the truth and lying. I don't think he cares. Today's a day of mercy because he's been shown mercy. I want to remind you of the Lord's Prayer, those of you who have not forgiven someone in your life. Actually, let's say it together. Our Father who art in heaven, On earth as it is in heaven. Stop. Forgive us our trespasses, our sins. As what? So we want you to forgive me, God. Jesus is teaching us to pray. You show us the same mercy we show others. There's no room for lack of forgiveness anymore. And David is, is doing this here because you know what? David doesn't care about his life anymore. D David wants to die. But Joab reminded him that he's a man with a task, that he's got a people to care for, that he's got a life to still be lived because God has not seen fit to kill him yet. I, 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 I sent to the Bible study leaders Monday. I, um, have you guys seen The Godfather? Do you remember in the first scene, first movie, he goes, act like a man. That was my Godfather I thought that was a pretty good impression, actually. It's the first good one I've done in about six months. Remember that scene? Act like a man. That's what Joab's doing. What are you doing? David listens. And he goes about his business as the king. Verse 31. Barzilli, the Italian of the group. <laughs> I just added that joke. Of Gilead had come down from the uh, Rogalim to escort the king across the Jordan. 
He was very old, 80 years of age, and very wealthy. He was the one who had provided food for the king during his stay in Mahanam. Uh, Come across with me and live in Jerusalem, the king said to him. I'll take care of you there. No, he replied. I'm far too old to go with the king to Jerusalem. I'm 80 years old today, and I can no longer enjoy anything. Food and wine are no longer tasty, and I cannot... I I can't even hear the singers as they sing. I would only be a burden to the Lord my king. What, does that sound like old age or what? Just to go across the Jordan River with the king is all the honor I need. Then let me return again to die in my own town where my father and my mother are buried. But here is your servant, my son, uh, Kimham. Let him go with my lord, the king, and receive whatever you want to give him. Good, the king agreed. Kimham will go with me, and I will help him in any way you'd like, and I will do for you anything you want. So all the people crossed the Jordan with the king. And after David had blessed Barzillai and kissed him, Barzillai returned to his own home. Then the king crossed over to Gilgal, taking Kimham with him. And all the troops of Judah and half the troops of Israel escorted the king on his way. Great story. Happy ending of this chapter. Neat stuff. But I just want to tell you something. Actually, let me tell you something else and come back to this. You know, whenever I talk to somebody about the story of Job, they always go, well, God returned him tenfold as children and everything. I want to remind you that Job still lost ten kids. David is acting like the king again. But you better believe his heart still is broken. Because you don't forget the sin and the hurt you caused, even if God does. And I say all that this morning to tell you that if you are the child of God, your old self has been crucified with Christ and it is no longer you who live. But it's actually Christ that lives in you. So now you can live this body, this earthly body, by trusting in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be a person of hope, even if you don't deserve it. Because frankly, we don't deserve anything. We deserve death. We deserve hell. And a loving God said, nah, that's not good enough. I love them. And he sent his only begotten son so that anyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. We are the benefactors of that mercy. We are the people of grace and hope. And Satan, if he can't have your soul, wants your mind. He wants you focused on you, the pain you've caused, the pain in your family. God wants you focused on him because you are still, no matter how you've soiled your garment, you are still the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus, created and recreated for work he has prepared for you to do. And just because you sin a bunch doesn't mean your task is done. Well, pastor, how do I know if my task is done? You'll be in heaven. Until then, walk worthy. Stand like a man of God. Um, stand up like a woman of God. That's, that's my little me too version of that. Be God's mom. I, I don't mean the mother of God. That would be Mary. Be the mom God created you to be. But pastor, I'm too angry. I'm too tired. I've messed up. You might have been all those things, but you're still here and God has work for you to do. Don't go into your room and cry. Go into the shower and cry. Get out, dry off, and get back to work. Show mercy. Show grace. 
Live hope in God, not in yourself. Sin does something to us. It helps us realize as children of God who we really are and what we're really capable of. And then it reminds us of who He really is and what He really did. And that keeps us humble. It keeps us faithful. I'm going to ask our elders to come up at this time to prepare for communion. If you're a child of God, this is open communion. We want you to participate. This doesn't belong to Carpenter's Way. It belongs to the family of God. There are two parts of communion. Um, and by the way, this is just matzo bread, and this is just grape juice. It's not, it's not alcoholic. Uh, we would not want to cause somebody to struggle who is an alcoholic. But here's the deal. The bread is the picture of Jesus' body that was broken for us. In other words, because we are so messed up, he was willing to come and live among us for 33 years because David couldn't do it, because the people of the Hebrew nation who had made a covenant with God couldn't do it, because Abraham screwed it up, because uh, they just couldn't do it. You cannot be good enough. So he came to be good enough on our behalf. The broken body is that he didn't just float down from heaven, die on the cross, and go back up. He actually lived. He knows the things you struggle with. He was tempted, Scripture says, in every way that you've been tempted, only he didn't sin. So he gets it. We can go ahead and start passing this out. As a... We don't want to have the wine just yet. God wants, God wants you to understand that there's nothing you're feeling right now that he hasn't felt. Maybe not the exact same temptation, but the same desires, the same struggles, the same desire to give in. It's, it tells us that in Hebrews. Why does that matter? Because when you cry out to him, when you cry out to him, he leans over to his father who he's sitting at the right hand of, and he says, man, I get it, I get it, Dad. It's hard. It's really hard. And together they communicate with the Holy Spirit who tells you how to overcome. God is on your team. He's on your side. And in Him, if we rest in Him, we can become more than overcomers. We are resting in the work that you have done there is nothing that you left undone you've opened our world to the presence of our God Welcomed here as worthy because of the cross We cannot walk away Here's where we want to stay to our God He has wiped away the stain of 
all our sin and shame and he's asked us to come and rest oh rest in our God look I, I know I know some of you right now are I've, I've done this a hundred times you've been in church your whole life and you're wondering um Pastor, you don't know what I've done. If you have yet to impregnate somebody else's wife and kill her husband, then David did one worse. Okay? Seriously. Stop looking at yourself. This was never, ever about you. If you are God's child, you are forgiven. Rest in him now. But to rest in him, it's going to take trust. You're going to have to believe that God will keep his word. Today is the day for you to wrap your arms around his mercy and grace and never look back. If that rings true in your life this morning, would you just take a second? I don't know what that thing is, and maybe nobody else but you and God and, and Lucifer know. Would you just take a second and take that thing and actually put it at the feet of Jesus right now? Give it up. Give it to him. And then I'll pray and we'll take. Father, too many of us who have been forgiven, we go and hide in our room and cry over our lives. And it's time to stop. Some of it is just the ebb and flow of life. Some of it is just uh, disappointment in how our dreams worked out. And some of it is because of self-inflicted injury. And uh, all of those things are still under your control. Father, you not only offer us forgiveness, you understand the pain of life, its difficulties, its trials, its tribulations. So we have a sympathetic priest who says, I got this. We can trust you. And I pray, Father, that we as a church would learn to trust you, even if we start right now. So, Father, as your forgiven children, we now together, we now give you the cost of our forgiven sin. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Take this. Without the blood of Christ, everything I just said is just words doesn't mean anything. Without, without Christ's blood, shed blood, you, you can pass out now. It's just a religious activity, event. But his blood was shed. And three days later, he did rise from the dead. And David, after sleeping with Bathsheba and killing her husband, was told by Nathan the high priest, you're forgiven. And I'm here to tell you this morning that because of the blood of Jesus Christ, 1 John 1, 9 tells you that if you confess your sin, he is faithful and he's just and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Past, present, and future. You have been forgiven. And if that's the fact, then there's only one person keeping you from experiencing the joy of your salvation. You are saved. You're just not experiencing the joy. And that is your pride. So I'm going to 
Be quiet for a few minutes. And I'm going to encourage you to talk to your daddy who sent his son to die on the cross for your sin. And I want you to thank him for his mercy and his grace that you don't deserve. And I want you to tell him you're sorry for being such a proud jerk. We're all there. We forget. He died on the cross for our sin. We are forgiven. Embrace it. Talk to him. Even if you don't want to. If you are his kid, talk to your dad. Stop playing games. Tell him the truth. Mad at him? Tell him. He can handle it. Feel unworthy? Tell him. He can handle that too. Talk to your dad. Are there temptations you don't feel like you can overcome? Talk to your dad. Are you just disappointed with how your life has unfolded? Talk to your dad. Salvation's completed through him and him alone. For when he had finished, he sat down on his throne to reign forevermore. King, our God, our Lord, singing blessing and honor, glory and power forever to our God. And He has wiped away the stain of all our sin and shame, and He's asked us to come. And rest, oh, rest in our God. Oh, I love that word, rest. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know who he's talking to? Religious people. Religious people. Rest in him, you guys. Not because... It's great psychology because it's, it's perfect theology. He sent his son to die so we could rest. Father, thank you for offering us rest through the blood of Jesus Christ and the sin that it forgives, Father. We as your children this morning stand before you holy and blameless, not because of how good we are, but because how perfect your sacrifice was. If there's somebody here who doesn't know you today, Father, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. For those of us who do know you, may today be the day we embrace our salvation. The grace of God that has forgiven us from all sin. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, Rex, could you come up here for a second, please?
Um, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss you guys for the door. We're going to take our benevolence offering as we usually do. Give me uh, one more minute. Uh, guys, would you turn this microphone on, please? Um, uh, I was not planning to do this, but I think it's important. Um, there may be some of you here struggling with sins that you can't talk to the church about. I get it. I get it. And Rex and his wife, uh, you've been with us, what, a couple years now? It feels like a lot longer, Rex. But uh, Rex and his wife have a unique ministry that I'd like him to tell you about that starts tonight. Yeah, we uh, are launching a ministry we're calling Oasis, which is uh, we're opening our home to every week on Sunday nights at 6 o'clock for those who uh, maybe have been hurt by the church, who feel like they no longer belong, who are, I'm say I'm done with it, or maybe they are struggling with things that they don't feel comfortable sharing in a church environment. And so we open our home to where they can come, be themselves, we can take off our masks and just be who we are and admit our struggles and our, our pain. And so we have a meal together. Uh, we, we're, because when you have a meal, people will talk and they will be honest. And so we open our, our table we have a meal together. We share our struggles and our pain and our triumphs. Uh, and we, we look to Jesus as our example of how to respond to people and things in life. And so he is promoted, and uh, then we try to pray for one another in our needs. And so if you'll be in prayer for us, uh, we're starting that tonight. Uh, we, we, our idea is it's one step at a time, one person at a time. And if you know someone who's struggling, who would like to just be a, have a safe place, uh, you can send them to our home, 1002 Ricks Road tonight. Uh, or you can call me or text me. My number is 214-995-6488. That's 1-800-BIBLE. I'm just kidding. Um, so I'm going to ask you to hang out up here. Sure. Um, and and let, let me, I want to be more specific than he was. This, this is for those of you who really don't feel like you can share your sin in the church. I get it. We, we get it. Rex has been a pastor. It's affected his family. It's affected my family. And if you are struggling with same-sex attraction, uh, transgender issues, if you feel alienated, if you've committed adultery and you don't... Listen, this is especially for you, and this is not judgmental. It's an opportunity to fellowship with people, be ministered to and loved on, just like we're talking about today. Hey, it's, it's time for us to walk with God in His mercy and grace, right? We've been sitting in the, we've been sitting in our upper room too long, going Absalom, stop. Let's walk with God. So He'll be up here after. Uh, and uh, thanks, you guys. Bible study is going to start in ten minutes. Have a wonderful Sunday.